Welcome to a bonus episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. No, no, no. Kill the music. Kill the music. This is not going to smartenize you at all. No, not at all. This is instead a blatant shill for my new patio book, Blood Witness. Blood Witness has only been out for two days, and a lot of you have signed on and a lot of you have downloaded it, but a lot of you haven't. And so, in order to entice you, I'm putting all of episode one here in the Quick Hits feed. Now, if you've already downloaded it, and you've already listened to it, then I've wasted your bandwidth, and your disk space, and millions and millions of precious ones and zeros, and for that, I apologize. You can just delete this and move on to the next show in your MP3 player. But for those of you who haven't downloaded it yet, what you're about to hear is the first episode. In its entirety, background music, bumpers, the whole thing. So, check it out, and if you like it, visit bloodwitness.com, subscribe, and get all of it. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Here we go. Blood Witness, a novel by Dave Hitt. Available at bloodwitness.com. Thanks for downloading Blood Witness. I'm not going to be putting a disclaimer in front of every episode, but let me give you one for the first one at least. Folks, this is an adult novel. It is full of sex, violence, gore, blood, humor, and naughty words. It is not safe for work, and it is not something you should be playing around your kids. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 1 Chapter 1 Catherine's hand trembled as she pushed the heavy drapes aside and looked across the valley. This had happened too many times in the last thousand years. It was nearly daybreak, and there was no sign of him. She spotted him almost immediately. He was miles away, his hands in his pockets, smiling at the rosy sky in the east. The sun broke over the mountaintop, flooding the valley with its pure light. She dropped the drape instinctively, but not before she saw the light hit him. She sank into the nearest chair, her hands covering her face, tears seeping through her fingers. As sleep overtook her, she cried, Not again! Not again! Chris had witnessed in countless neighborhoods like this. The raised ranch houses all looked alike, and everyone inside was annoyed about being bothered on a Saturday morning. Chris adjusted his tie, feeling almost as geeky as Danny, the twelve-year-old he had been assigned to work with. It was a typically miserable March day, with just enough drizzle to keep them cold and clammy as they walked from door to door. It could be worse. It could be sunny. Witnessing was even more unbearable on a nice day, walking through neighborhoods where everyone else was outside enjoying themselves. The high school was only a few blocks away, and he was hoping none of his classmates would see him. If he were lucky, he would be the only senior who wasn't sleeping in on a Saturday morning. 
Danny was babbling about something or other as they walked up the sidewalk of the next house. Chris knocked on the door and held his breath. An elderly woman, no one he knew, opened the door slowly. She peered at him cautiously through her thick glasses. Relieved, he began his well-rehearsed sermon. Good morning. I'm with a group of ministers, and we're calling on our neighbors to share a scripture with them. Have you ever wondered why there is so much crime and violence in the world and the solution to the problems we face? He paused, but she didn't respond. Well, the Bible gives us the answer in Psalms 37.10. He flipped through the pages of his Bible and found the passage in a few seconds. Just a little while longer and the wicked one will be no more, and you will certainly give attention to his place and he will not be. But the meek ones themselves will possess the earth, and they will indeed find their exquisite delight in the abundance of peace. Doesn't that sound like the kind of world you'd want to live in? She smiled sweetly. Well, boys, I have my own religion, but it is good to see such nice young men reading the Bible. Let me give you a dollar. No, we're not collecting money, but we would like to leave the latest copies of the Watchtower and Awake magazines with you. He held out the two thin magazines. There's no charge, but if you'd like to make a contribution... She took a coin purse from her pocket, dug through it, and handed Chris a wrinkled dollar. There you go, boys. Put it in your collection plate. Danny started to explain that they didn't have collection plates, but Chris cut him off. We'd like to stop by again after you've had a chance to read them and maybe answer any questions you might have. He held the magazines out to her. She took them reluctantly. She said, Thank you, boys. You have a good day now. As they walked down the driveway, Danny started babbling again. Write her down in your callback book, Chris. Write her down. She's interested. I just know it. Maybe we can get her to study. Maybe... Chris scribbled the address in his book, trying to ignore Danny. No one answered the door at the next house. There was some noise inside, but Chris was used to people pretending they weren't home. He left a tract in the door and moved on. He rang the bell at the next house, and when he saw who opened the door, he felt a chill and braced himself. Eddie, the king of ashtrays in both art class and shop, stood on the other side of the screen. Hey! he yelled to his friends inside the house. Look who's here! It's the Jesus Geek! Stan and Frankie, Eddie's constant companions, joined him in the doorway. Hey, Geek, save me! Forgive me, Geek, for I have sinned! Heal me, Geek, heal me! Hey, Geek, can you walk across the creek? Chris turned and walked down the porch steps as they continued laughing and insulting him. Before they were out of earshot, Danny started in again. You should have talked to them, Chris. Everyone deserves a chance. Why didn't you talk to them? If you don't witness to them and they don't get a chance before Armageddon, it'll be your fault and... Chris grabbed Danny by the back of the neck. His fingers closed around the boy's windpipe. Shut. Up. Now. Understand? Danny nodded and Chris released him. There were faint marks on the kid's neck. Chris was sure there would be reprimands and apologies before the day was over. But it was worth it. She woke up later than usual, still sitting in the same chair. A fly was buzzing around her head. She plucked it out of the air and crushed it between her fingers. Chet was dead. She had turned him less than a hundred years ago, hoping he'd be the one with the strength and the will to survive through a thousand years of joy and pain. 
But once again, she was wrong. He barely lasted a century. She had been so sure she had chosen well, especially after the first time he insisted on testing his powers. I'm back, Catherine, he said, dropping a dozen small sacks of gold dust on the table. My God, how many did you kill? Just one. I won this playing poker at the saloon. You know, if I look close, I can see all their cards reflected in their eyes. Now I'm ready to have some fun. Fun? It's nearly sunrise. Hell, we got time. When I was immortal, I used to say, I'm going to get me a drink, wrestle me a mountain lion, and kiss me a pretty girl. Well, I've had my drink. He leaned over and kissed her lightly on the cheek. Now I got to find me a lion. He was out the door before she had a chance to reply. She ran after him. This is foolish, she yelled, chasing him through the woods. It's not worth the risk. Let's get back to the cabin before it's too late. Go if you want to, he yelled back. I smell a cat. Catherine sniffed. There was a cougar in one of the trees. He ran to the tree, crouched, then sprang upward as if he were a cat himself. He grabbed a branch and started climbing. The leaves rustled, then were still for a long moment. Catherine heard a growl, then a shout, then Chet and the cougar crashed to the ground together. Chet jumped to his feet. The cougar coiled and sprang. Chet stepped to one side, and the cat flew past him. He turned to Catherine and smiled, panting slightly. Don't help, he said. This is my fight. He turned back to the cat, who was in midair, grabbing at his face with its claws. Chet went down screaming, trying to hold the beast away from him. The cougar took a powerful swipe at his face and a piece of flesh flew toward Catherine. The cat's rear claws dug into his belly, ripping into his intestines. He grabbed the cougar by one ear, pulled its throat to his mouth and bit hard. Now it was the cat's turn to scream as Chet sucked its lifeblood away. It managed to claw his chest once more before it collapsed on top of him. He tossed the cougar's limp body aside, stood up, and looked at Catherine. He was holding his guts in with one hand, forcing a smile and pretending he felt no pain. Bloody slashes covered his face. His nose was gone. Hell, that was too easy. What are you staring at? He felt his face, fingering the red triangle where his nose had been. Hell, it'll grow back, won't it? You said everything got fixed while we sleep. Catherine pointed toward the horizon. The sky was bright pink. You might not be able to make it back in time, especially in your condition. Are you strong enough to dig? He nodded. Hurry. She watched as he fell to his knees and began frantically digging with his hands. In moments he was gone, covered by the earth. When she was sure he was safe, she did the same thing. The sun came up on the lone body of a dead mountain lion. Nearby, a small triangle of flesh smoked and turned to dust. She was hungry. Perhaps the thrill of the hunt would change her mood. She went to her bedroom and quickly applied too much makeup, then pulled on fishnet stockings and squeezed into a red sequin dress. She put on a long coat, checked herself quickly in the mirror, and headed for downtown Los Angeles. She walked the neon streets for a half hour, carefully noting the position of the cops, the pimps, and the hookers. She selected a spot in the middle of a block, near an empty alley, where none of them were likely to notice her. 
She examined the men walking by, judging them all quickly. This one was too old, this one too sickly, that one on drugs. A healthy-looking middle-aged man came toward her, but when she reached out and mentally touched him, she sensed the presence of a family. If he disappeared, he would be missed. A young man in a leather jacket headed in her direction. A quick touch assured her that he was alone in life, too full of himself to make room for anyone else. She stepped in front of him and opened her jacket. He stopped, his eyes wide. Looking for a good time, she asked in her deep, sexy voice. Sorry, honey, I'm broke. That's too bad. You look like you could use a little action. You might even be able to turn me on, and that doesn't happen very often. I don't suppose you offer credit. Sorry, I left my credit card machine in my other purse. Damn, I wish it were tomorrow. Why, what's tomorrow? Payday. Hmm. She paused for dramatic effect. Tell you what, sweetheart. I just might make a deal with you. How about a little quickie tonight? Then tomorrow you'll meet me here. You'll take me to dinner in a very nice restaurant, and then we'll have a real good time. Of course, it'll be for the regular price, and I'm very expensive. You'll trust me to come back here tomorrow? Honey, after you've had a little sample of me, you ain't going to be able to resist. Then tomorrow, I'll give you a night you'll still dream about when you're wedding yourself in a nursing home. What's your name? My friends call me Speed. My friends call me Cat. Let's go. She turned and walked down the alley, knowing he'd follow. When the light from the street faded to darkness, she turned, put her back to the wall, and sighed, Take me. He kissed her, thrusting his tongue into her mouth, and then pulled back a look of shock on his face. Your mouth is so cold. What's the matter, punk? she asked. Her voice was no longer sexy. Can't handle a real woman? She grabbed him by the shoulders and paused a moment to let his fear build. His eyes widened as she pulled him close and closed her teeth on his juggler. His memories filled her for a moment, shallow victories and meaningless accomplishments. Then her own memories came flooding back, memories of hunting with her lovers, playing with their victims, keeping company with mortals who never suspected their dark secret. Memories of traveling the countryside together, feeling invincible. Memories of Marcus and Franco and Gebert and a dozen others she had lost through the centuries. The despair was overpowering. When she dropped her victim, his heart was still beating weakly. If she had been thinking clearly, she would have at least broken his neck to spare him from a terrible death. By leaving him like this, she had condemned him to wander in a painful fog for days before his heart finally burst. People die horribly when a vampire picks at her food. Chapter 2 Chris hated Sundays. He was surprised Danny hadn't tattled about being grabbed, and was even more pleased when he asked to be assigned to someone else for Sunday morning service. Today they were covering a rural territory. Everything was still damp and the air was muggy, just hot enough to make his suit and tie even more uncomfortable. He liked rural territories, though. There were breaks as they drove from one house to another, fewer people to witness to, and when the adults left the car he could switch the radio to a rock station. He liked Duran Duran and Dire Straits, but would never admit to how much he liked the bangles. 
He just had to be sure to switch it back to the easy listening station when he saw them returning. The Sunday afternoon meeting seemed even longer than usual. The public talk was given by a brother from another congregation, a dull, monotonous speaker who had traveled several hours to bore a new and different audience. The Watchtower study, like most Watchtower studies, covered some picky point of doctrine Chris had studied a dozen times before. He raised his hands and answered a couple of questions. As soon as the closing prayer was over, he forgot what the study was about. After the meetings, Chris wandered around the Kingdom Hall, talking with a few kids his own age he could tolerate. The crowd gradually thinned as people left, until the only people in the main hall were him and his mother. He could see his father through the glass doors of the library, listening to Sister Thompson. Chris sighed. Sister Thompson was always long-winded, and this was the third time this month she had cornered his father. They would not be going home for a while. An hour later, she was still waving her arms at his father in the library. Sandy looked tired, ready to doze off at any moment. Mom, he said, you look beat, and I'm sick of waiting. Why don't I get the keys from Dad and drive us home? I'll come back and get him later. No, don't bother your father, she said, trying not to sound too annoyed with the situation. I'm sure he'll be done in a little while. Don't complain. You should be proud that people can turn to him for help when they need it. You'll be an elder too someday, and you'll want your kids to be patient when you have to spend extra time with a brother or sister who has a problem. Elder, Chris thought. Fat chance, considering the first qualification was wanting the job. He looked out the window and waited, and waited, and waited. The thing Mandy hated most about working at McDonald's was a stupid little hat. The instant it was eleven o'clock, she took it off and headed for the ladies' room to change out of her uniform. Most of the kids didn't change before they left, but they either had their own cars or had people coming to pick them up. She had to walk home. Walk, in L.A. That was even more embarrassing than having to serve any of her friends who wandered in. Before she put on her street clothes, she washed her face in the sink. When she started this job, she had the kind of complexion boys noticed and girls made jealous remarks about. Now, after frying hamburgers and standing next to the splattering grease of the french fry machine, her face was just as pimply as everyone else's. Maybe worse. Her long brown hair, once shiny on its own, now had a kind of slimy gleam to it. It got greasy even though she pulled it back into a ponytail. She wondered if she should cut it. As she left the ladies' room, one of the other kids said, Hey, Mandy, we're all going to Jack's house. His parents aren't home and he's got a quarter keg. Sounds like fun, but I'm meeting someone later, she lied. She'd love to go. But Jack's house wasn't within walking distance, so the only way she could get there was to hitch a ride right now. She didn't dare. It was quarter after eleven. If she walked quickly, she could get home in half an hour, just about when her mom would be passing out, most likely with a grimy glass of Jack Daniels in one hand and a lit cigarette in the other. Their living room couch was covered with burn marks, one for each time Mandy was just a little too late. She was about halfway home when she thought she heard someone behind her. She turned to look, but no one was there. She picked up her pace a little and crossed at the intersection. There was a little park she walked by every night. Sometimes she'd hear kids partying inside and wish she could join them at least once in a while. Tonight all she heard were crickets. 
She was nearly past it when she heard something else, a low moan coming from somewhere way inside the park. She paused briefly, then continued walking. She heard it again, louder this time. It sounded like someone in terrible pain. She stopped for a moment, then started walking faster. The sound came again, now a great groan of agony, followed by a woman's pitiful crying. Something told her to run, to get away from here as fast as she could, but the pain in those cries was too compelling. She stopped, turned, and cautiously walked into the park, following the sound. She found a woman sitting at the base of a tree, her face buried in her hands. She was crying quietly now, but her shoulders were shaking with grief. Mandy stepped toward her and said, Hello, are you all right? She felt stupid as soon as she said it, but couldn't think of anything else to ask. The crying woman didn't answer. Mandy took another step forward and reached out, almost touching her shoulder, but not quite sure if she should. Are you okay? What happened next took less than an instant. The woman's hand flashed out and grabbed Mandy's wrist. She stood up quicker than a human should be able to move and bent Mandy's arm until she was almost falling backwards. Hello, dear, she said. So nice of you to stop by in my hour of need. Mandy tried to pull her arm away, but it felt as if it were embedded in granite. An icy chill went up her spine when she looked at her captor in the moonlight. No hair should be that dark. No face should be that white in California. The eyes were the worst. She had never seen eyes that colorless, full of the passion and hunger of a thousand years. The woman smiled at her, revealing a mouthful of long teeth. She grabbed Mandy's neck with her free hand and pulled it toward her. Mandy felt a sharp, slicing pain in her throat. Then she felt weak. Then she felt nothing. Ever again. When the sun rose over the park, a young man was sitting under the tree. He was nervous and jittery, waiting for the cocaine to dissipate so he could sleep. The sun hit him and he thought he heard a gurgling, bubbling sound above him. He looked up and saw what seemed to be a naked body in the branches, a body whose flesh was boiling. The hideous thing slipped and fell toward him. His eyes opened wide, the thing falling nearly on him when it burst into a cloud of gray dust. The fine powder settled lightly on his shoulders and upturned face. He brushed it off, once again swearing off drugs forever. By morning, Catherine had carefully packed everything she wanted to keep into trunks and boxes. It was time to move on. You've been listening to the novel Blood Witness, written, performed, and produced by Dave Hitt. Additional episodes and information are available at bloodwitness.com. The background music is by Pete Palladino of the Badleys. Find more at badleys.com. Hope you enjoyed the first few chapters here. There's a whole lot more to come, folks. I'm going to be doing some horrible things to these characters. Stick around. I think you're going to enjoy the ride. If you love what you've heard so far, if you hate what you've heard so far, or even if you're just enthusiastically ambivalent about what you've heard so far, Please drop me a line. It's hitman at davehit.com. 
You can find the correct spelling of the address and other stuff at the official site for this patio book, bloodwitness.com. One of the things there I'd like to encourage folks who really enjoy this to do is to sign up for Hitman's Henchman, which will give you an opportunity to help promote the book and be a part of its success. The next episode will be released next Wednesday. Every Wednesday I'm going to be releasing one of these. We'll talk to you then. Shots are served to warm The architect is still remain